Alhamdulillah. <laughs> Ya ayyuhalladhina amanu taqullaha wa kulu qawlan sadida yuslih lakum ma'amalakum wa yakfir lakum dunubakum wa man yuti'illaha wa rasoolahu faqada faza fawzan azimah amma ba'd fa anna astaqa al-hadithi kitabullah wa khayra al-hadi haju muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa sharwa al-umuri muhdathatuha wa kulna muhdathatin bid'ah wa kulna bid'atin dolala we continue with the explanation of the 40 hadith of Imam An-Nawawi rahimahullah ta'ala. We arrive to Al-Hadith Al-Hadi Ashar, the 11th hadith. Anabi Muhammadin Al-Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib radiyallahu anhuma sibti Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa rayhanatihi qala hafiztu min Rasulillahi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Da'ama yaribuka ila ma la yaribuka Rawahu at-Tirmidhi wa nasai wa qala at-Tirmidhi Hadithun Hasanun Sahih This narration is on the authority of Abi Muhammad al-Hasan The son of Ali ibn Abi Talib And he is the grandson of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam From the angle or from Fatima this is the son of the daughter of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And he is one that was very beloved to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And he mentioned, I memorized from the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam His statement, leave alone which makes you doubt for that which does not make you doubt uh, This narration is collected in the Sunan of Tirmidhi, in the Sunan of An-Nasai. And Imam Tirmidhi, he said the hadith is Hasanun Sahihun. As for Al-Hasan ibn Ali, radiyallahu anhuma, his kunya is Abu Muhammad. He is the father of Muhammad. And he is a younger Sahabi. He is a companion, the son of a companion. He was born in the third year of Hijrah. And his brother, Al Hussein, was born the year after, the fourth year of Hijrah. And both of them, Al Hassan and Al Hussein, the sons of Fatima radiallahu anha and Ali ibn Abi Talib. 
they were very generous individuals and they have many virtues for them from their virtues is the statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam Al-Hasan Wal-Hussein Sayyida Shababi Ahl Jannah The Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein They are the masters or the leaders of the youth of the people of paradise Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein They are like the leaders of the youth From the people of paradise and this here is an indication that they will be in paradise. It's, no, it's not possible to be from the leaders of the people in paradise and you're not in paradise. So no, this means that they will be uh, in paradise. And they will be the head of the youth in the paradise. Also, the Prophet Wasallam mentioned about Al-Hasan that this son of mine's he will bring rectification between two great parties that who are disputing. And this took place in the in Amr Jama'ah, the year of the unity, when Al-Hasan, radiallahu an, he stepped down and gave the Khilafah to Muawiyah, uh, radiallahu anhu majma'een. And this brought unity amongst the Sahaba. Also, you have some of the ulama, they mentioned, that Al-Hasan He is His term Or his period as the Khalifa Which was a little over six months This is the last uh, Portion of the Khilafah of Prophethood As the Prophet ﷺ mentioned That the, the Khilafah of Prophethood Would be for 30 years So the term of his father Ali with his six months and some days that actually completes the 30 year term so based upon that he is considered to be one of the rightly guided Khulafa yani Al-Hasan ibn Ali radiyallahu anhuma and there is a narration that has been mentioned that there were two men from the Quraysh who disputed as to which of the tribes were more generous. And one man was from Bani Hashim and the other man was from Bani Umayyah. So they disputed by saying, my people are more generous than your people. Said, no, my people are more generous than your people. So one of them said to the other, okay, you go and ask your people for wealth and I'm going to ask my people for wealth and then we're going to see so they separated upon that so the man from Bani Umayyah he asked 10 people from his people and each one of them gave him 10,000 so in the end he has 100,000 so then the Hashimi he went to Ubaid ibn Abbas and he asked him, so he gave him 100,000. And then he went to Al-Hasan ibn Ali, and he asked Al-Hasan, and he said, Al-Hasan said to him, did you go to anybody before me? So he said, yes, I went to Ubaid ibn Abbas, and he gave me 100,000. So Al-Hasan gave him 130,000. And then he went to Al-Hussein, 
And he asked Hussein, and Hussein said to him, did you ask anybody before me? He said, yes, I asked your brother Hassan, Al-Hassan, and he gave me 130,000. So Al-Hussein said, I wish you would have came to me before you went to him. I would have given you more than that. But I don't like to add or do more than my leader, meaning Al-Hassan. You know, because the early generations of Muslims, they have respect, you know, for their older brothers. You know, there was uh, one group of scholars, they were twins. But the twin that came out first, the, the, the twin that came out last will always honor his brother who came out before him. Because he considered him, to, he's older than him, even though they're twins. But the one came out first. So he always will honor his brother. And it will be said to him, you know, why are you honoring him in this manner as if, you know, he's like an elder over you? He said, he was born first before me. You know, so Al Hussein. He gave the man 130,000. So then they came back. So the man from Bani Umayyah, he had 100,000 from 10 people. And the man from Bani Hashim, he had 360,000 from three people. So the man from Bani Umayyah, he said, I asked 10 people from my people, and they each gave me. 10,000 so I have 100,000 and the man from Bani Hashim he said well I asked three people from my people and they gave me in a total amount 360,000 so the Hashimi he you know I, it was proven that his people are more generous uh, than the other so the, uh, the man from Bani Umayyah he went back to his people and informed them of what happened and he gave them back their money and they accepted it. But when the person went back to Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein and Ubaid ibn Abbas and informed them what happened and he went to give them the money, they did not accept it. And they said, لَمْ نَكُنْ لِنَأْخُذْ شَيْئًا قَدْ أَعْطَيْنَاهُ So they said that we will not take back anything that we gave for the sake of Allah. And it shows you the mannerisms of Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein as well as Ubaid ibn Abbas that they were men who were righteous and not to say the others were not but to show you their mandate they gave something for the sake of Allah they would not take it back they did not take it back and they are just, this is just a glimpse into their life of how uh, Al-Hasan and Al-Hussein they were generous people and they were yes Excuse me? No, no, no. They were, they're Muslims. No, they, he just asked. They, this, that's what they gave. But these the, from Bani Hashim who gave, they gave more. And they were, they were more generous than the other tribe. That, that was the point. But from the people he asked was Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein. You know, the grandsons of the Prophet Wasallam, and And they by themselves gave more than the 10. The 10 altogether gave 100,000. Al-Hassan gave 130,000. And Al-Hussein gave 130,000. And Al-Hussein would have given more, but he didn't want to give more than what his brother gave out of respect for his brother and not to surpass him. Now, this narration 
deals with the importance of staying away from doubtful matters. And it's similar to what we already covered from the hadith of An-Nu'man ibn Bashir anhuma, when the Prophet وسلم, mentioned Man shubuhat, that whoever stays away from the doubtful matters then he has freed himself regarding his deen and his honor. So here the Prophet وسلم, mentions Leave alone that which is doubtful for that which is not doubtful. In this narration there has come an added wording That indeed truthfulness is tranquility Truthfulness is ease And lying is like doubts And uh, not feeling, not being comfortable And what's the meaning of that statement of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is that when a matter is correct for a believing person, he's at ease with it. And if it is something that is wrong, he's not comfortable with that affair. And this is from the signs of righteousness, the signs of Iman. As the Prophet was asked by An-Nawas ibn Sam'an, radiallahu an, he said, Sa'altu Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam an wal Nawaz ibn Sam'an, may Allah be pleased with him, he said, I asked the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam about righteousness and I asked him about sin. I asked the Messenger of Allah about righteousness and I asked him about sin. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he said, righteousness is good character. Good, having good character, this is righteousness. And sin is that which wavers in the heart. You're not comfortable with it. And you dislike for people to find out about it. And this is uh, a statement from the Prophet that teaches the believer how to measure affairs. If you're comfortable with it, and you don't mind the other believers find out about it, then inshallah ta'ala, it's not a sin. You know, within the guidelines. Right? But now, there are things that are wrong, and we know they're wrong. And we would dislike for other Muslims to find out that we are indulged in those matters. That's the indication that that matter is a sin. It doesn't sit right with you. You follow? And that's from the person's iman. You know, when a person, you know, has faith, He's not going to be comfortable with disobeying Allah and doing sins. Unless a person's faith is severely damaged or a person doesn't have faith at all. As for people who their faith is severely damaged, their faith is very weak, they're not going to have that. Even though they know they're wrong, they become accustomed to doing evil. To the point as if they don't even have a conscience. But a person you know, who ha- who's striving to do good... And he, or a person, you know, he believes in Allah, he believes in the message, he's trying to be a good Muslim, but he has some weakness, you know, and he still has some shame, though. He, wouldn't, he doesn't want Muslims to find out about his sins. But the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, 
that the sin is that which wavers in the chest or wavers in the heart and you dislike for the people to find out about it and this is similar to the narration of Wabisa ibn Ma'bad radiallahu an annahu qal wa annahu sallallahu alayhi wa sallam qal lahu jitta tas'aluni an al-birr wal-ithm so the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam he said to Wabisa Ibn Ma'bad, you have come to me to ask me about righteousness and sin. Fakala na'am. He said, Yes, I have. So the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Ya waybisa, istafti qalbak, wastafti nafsak, thalatha marrat. Al bir matma'annat ilayhi al nafs, wal ithma haka fin nafs, wa taraddada fis sadr, wa in aftak al nas. He said, O Wabisa, or O Wabisa, excuse me, Ya Wabisa, ask your heart. Ask your heart. You want to know about righteousness and sin? Ask your heart. Ask your soul. He mentioned this three times. Ask your heart, ask your soul. Ask your heart, ask your soul. Ask your heart, ask your soul. Righteousness is that which the soul is at ease with. And sin is that which wavers in the soul. And your heart is like back and forth about the matter. Even if you ask the people and they give you a verdict and say, no, it's okay, it's halal, you still don't feel good about it. Sit down. I don't. You understand? You ask a, a person who you, you have some uh, trust in or you think the person may know the answer and they give you an answer and you, just, it don't feel com- you don't feel comfortable with it. This is a part of righteousness and a part of sin. This is a part of the person's uh, iman. So the ulama, they say, that which the soul and the heart is at ease with, and it is a matter that does not have no doubt in it, then this is from the good affairs. And that which the, the heart has doubt concerning, and the person is wavering back and forth, the person is not at ease with it, and the person would dislike for the people to find out about it. This is the indication that a mat- that matter should be left alone. That matter should be left alone. So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he mentioned some words that Al-Hasan, he said he memorized from him. And remember, Al-Hasan, he was young. He's a young companion. If he was born in the third year of Hijrah, then he was about seven or eight years old when the Prophet Wasallam died. So whatever he memorized from the Prophet Wasallam, he was young. And this shows, barakallahu feekum, that narrations from the young can be accepted. Narrations from the young can be accepted. So he says, I memorized from the Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, da'ma yaribuka ila ma la yaribuka. 
is a, a fi'lu amr, is a command in the Arabic language, which has the uh, meaning of leave it. Like the Prophet ﷺ has said to the Sahaba when they want to stop the man from urinating in the masjid, he said, da'uhu, leave him. Da'uhu, stop, leave him, leave him alone. And here, the Prophet said, da', yani, leave it. And the origin of a command is obligation. The origin of a command from Allah or a command from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam is obligation. And likewise, the, or, the origin of a prohibition is forbiddance. Unless there is a text that comes that will take the command from being an obligation to a recommendation or will take the, the prohibition from forbiddance to dislike. But other than that, the origin when it comes to the commandments from Allah and the commandments from the Prophet wasallam and the commandments and the prohibitions from Allah and the Prophet wasallam is obligation and forbiddance. The next point, the Prophet Wasallam said, Ma yaribuk, that which causes a person or that which a person is doubtful about. And also it has come, Ma yuribuk, da' ma yaribuka or da' ma yuribuk or a dhamma. One has the fatha, one has the dhamma. And the scholars, they say, the fatha is what's most famous and more eloquent. But both the meanings are similar. And they leave alone that which causes a person to doubt, or that which a person is doubtful about. Meaning that which has, the person has doubt in his heart concerning. Leave it. So leave alone which you are doubtful about for, the, for that which you are not doubtful about. So this shows or indicates that the religion commands us to hold on to that which we are certain about. And as for the doubtful matters, leave them alone. Let them be. So that which is clearly halal, hold on to that. That which is clearly haram, leave it off. That which is in between and you're not sure, also leave it alone. Also leave it alone. And as for the protection of your religion and the protection of your honor. As we covered, the Prophet mentioned, So whoever leaves off or stays away from the doubtful matters, then he has freed himself regarding his religion and regarding his honor. Because what if it comes out later on that that matter was haram? Now, your deen is questioned. Or the person's honor is in question now. No, the Muslim has to be concerned about his deen. And the Muslim has to be concerned about his honor. You know, no Muslim should be comfortable with his deen being in question. Or his honor being in question. You know, the Muslim is to be like a stand-up individual. A person who's upright. A person who's righteous. A person who, you know, he takes his deen serious. And he doesn't let his religion be a matter of play or a matter of question. And likewise, his honor. 
So the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam mentioned Leave of which makes you doubt For that which does not make you doubt And we have the principle Al-Yaqeen la yazul bishak Al-Yaqeen la yazul bishak That's one of the five major thick principles Right? The certainty is not removed by doubts. So that which a person is certain about, this is what you act upon. And whatever you are doubtful concerning, then you leave the matter alone. And an example, you are certain that you made wudu. You're certain that you made wudu. But you're doubtful about breaking it. You're not sure. You think you might have broken wudu, but you remember making wudu. But you don't remember breaking it, but there's some doubt. You may have broken it, you may not. What, did you, what do you act on? You, you go on a certainty. You act off the certainty. Alright, you understand? Because you remember making wudu. So that's certain. You remember making wudu, but you don't remember breaking it. So you act on that which is certain. Or the opposite. You remember breaking your wudu, but you don't remember making it. So what do you act on? That you don't have wudu, because that's what you remember. And it goes back to the narration where the man came to the Prophet and mentioned that when he's in salat, he thinks or imagines you know, that something must have came out of him because he feels something in his stomach, some movement in his stomach. So the Prophet said, don't leave the salat until you hear, you hear a sound or you smell an odor. That helps, or this is a part of that principle. Certainty is not removed by doubt. You're certain that you have your wudu, you're in your salat. Your stomach is moving a little bit. You're uncertain whether something came out or not, whether you passed gas or not. The Prophet said, don't leave the salat until you hear something. or you." And what is meant by this? is don't leave the salat until you are certain you have broken your wudu. Because sometimes you can pass gas and there's no sound and there's no smell, but you know you pass gas. So if you know you pass gas in the salat, okay, now you have to leave the salat. Don't, don't stand in, in the row. Can leave the salat and go make wudu and come back. And don't be embarrassed. It happens to everyone. And so Sheikh Uthaymeen, he mentioned that, but if you are embarrassed, he said, hold your nose, that's maybe something, like your nose is bleeding <laughs> And then go ahead to the bathroom. But you shouldn't be ashamed because passing gas is, is natural. As a man passed gas in the presence of the Prophet Wasallam, and some Sahaba started laughing. And the Prophet said, what are you laughing at? You do the same thing. What's funny? Everybody passes gas. So the point is that the Prophet told the man, don't leave the Salat until you hear something or you smell something. Showing that matters have to be based upon certainty. You are certain you have purification, doubt should not remove that certainty. Yes, sir. Yeah. Um, you were saying that you don't
circumstances in between the time that the person made the move and the time that he thought that he could have broken. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Even if you still have to work what you're certain about. Going back to the hadith, leave alone what makes you doubt for that which doesn't make you doubt. You are you remember making wudu. You remember when you was in your house, before you left, you went to the bathroom and then you made wudu. But now when you get to the masjid, did I break my wudu on the way? No, you go back to what you remember doing, that you made wudu. And that's what you build upon. Because the hadith says leave, because now it's doubtful now. The doubt is there. And it can be from shaitan. The shaitan is whispering to confuse a person. And the wudu, like you have some people, they are afflicted with waswasa. They'll make wudu about 20 times in the wudu station. Shaitan said, you missed, you missed the spot. He goes back. Get to the prayer, Allahu Akbar. You see the person, you see the person go back to the bathroom. I know a brother, he, he was afflicted with that. You follow him, but it, it's, you know, he had to fight it because it's shaitan. Every time he makes wudu, we'll be standing right there looking at him. He'll make the full wudu, go to make salah, and right, he goes back because the shaitan is, is on him, whispering to him. You missed something, you missed the spot. You, so that, that waswasa, you don't pay attention to him. Some people are afflicted heavy with the waswasa. And then sometimes, some of us, we're getting older. And our memories are born. This is this true fact. We put stuff down, turn around, forget where we put the stuff at. We're getting older. So as we're getting older, our memory is deteriorating. Some people may be in the beginning stages of Alzheimer's. Allahu Akbar. But the principle is there. That which you remember, or that which you are certain about, is not to be removed by doubt. And that, you know, alhamdulillah, that principle is there as a protection for us so that we don't drive ourselves crazy. Every time you doubt, you're acting on it. Every time it's, I remember making wudu, but did I break it? And then you go on again. And then now it opened the door for the shaitan to come and he keeps whispering and whispering and whispering. And, and, and again, as an example, because this happens, the shaitan, a whisper to, a man, like when there's a dispute between husband and wife, and this has happened before, and he says, um, you divorced her before. He doesn't remember divorcing her. But then the wife was, I divorced you before? The sister says, no, you didn't ever divorce me. The shaitan tells him that you did divorce her. So what does he build off on? That he didn't divorce her. That's doubt. He remembers marrying her. That's certainty. He doesn't remember divorcing her. Shaitan whispers to him he divorced her. He doesn't go off of that. He goes off of what he knows. What's the origin? That he never divorced her. See how the principle saves the marriage? And, and the principle goes a long way. It's not just in the matters of wudu or purification, but it's in basically all of the matters of the deen. That whatever you are certain about, that's what you work upon. The matters that you are doubtful about, you're not sure, leave that. Don't act on that. Act on what you know. Same thing, you're in the Salat, and you get up for the third rakah, but you're not sure whether it's the third rakah or the fourth rakah. But you remember making two, okay, so you build off of that, this has to be the third. And then before you taslim, you prostrate twice for forgiveness. 
But even in the, in the salat, and for sure we know in the salat the shaitan comes to you and whispers to you to confuse you. And it only takes a second to, to cause you to forget where you were at in the salat. So what you do, you build off the certainty. All right, I remember making two rakahs. All right, so the next rakah is the third. Even though it may be the fourth. Right, so now the imam, he stands up and this is in the case with the imam is leading, he gets confused. If he stands up for a fifth raka'ah, thinking it's the fourth, we say, subhanAllah, subhanAllah, if he doesn't get it and he keeps praying, stay sitting, don't get up. Because you know it's the fourth. You can't follow him in his doubt. You understand? He's confused, you're not confused, so you have to wait there. Because if you get up, now you're intentionally adding a fifth raka'ah. Not in, go ahead. Not in that case. And he's going to add a fifth. You stay sitting and say Subhanallah. Even though For a fifth rakah, yes. If he forgets the tashahud in the second and stand up, we stand up with him. There's a difference now. He's adding. Um, he's adding something that's not from the salat. Whereas when the Prophet وسلم, forgot the tashahud in the second rakah, he stood straight up for the third, and the people said, SubhanAllah, he had already stood straight up. So he motioned to them to get up, because he can't go back. Because now he's in the third rakah. So he can't leave off the pillar for an obligation. So then he prostrated um, before, before. And then, yes, because he left the tashahud. In the case when he teslimed out in the second rakah, and Dhulia Dain came to him and said, was the salat shortened or did you forget? He said, the salat wasn't shortened and I didn't forget. Then he said, rather you forgot. Because once he verified the salat wasn't shortened, then he knew it wasn't from Allah. Because this is still during the time of revelation. So it can be that Allah changed it, that the salat went back to two rakahs as it was before when they were in Mecca. So he said the salat wasn't, it wasn't shortened and I didn't forget. He said, rather you forgot. And the Prophet said, is what he's saying true? They said, yes. So he got back up, prayed two rakah, teslim, prostrated, and then teslim again because he added something to the salat in this case. And that was the extra teslim in the second rakah. In the time when the Prophet وسلم, stood up for the fifth rakah in his time, the sahaba stood up. Why? Because it's still during the time of tashriyat. It's still during the time of legislation. And it could be that Allah revealed to the Prophet to add another rakah. So when they asked the Prophet after the salat was finished, he said, no, the, the salat was not increased. So he had the posture. Yeah. So now the deen is complete. We know there is no five rakah for Duhur and Asa and for Isha. You sit and you wait. Because now the, the Imam is confused. So maybe he's thinking that this is a fault. So you say, subhanAllah, subhanAllah. If he doesn't listen, wait. And then when he comes down and makes you inform him, and then he postulates for Adam. Okay. No. Yes. Once he does that, yes. And we follow him. No, we follow him in that. No. Jazakallah. We follow him. And as for making it before or after, um, yes, it's preferable that if you add something to the salat, you make it after. If you leave something out of the salat, you make it before. And if you become confused in the salat, you make it before. But if you do it anyway, it counts still.
and we, we follow the Imam in that. So the issue um, regarding doubt, the, the, the legislation of Islam directs us to hold on to that which we are certain about. And those matters which are doubtful, the legislation directs us to avoid them and to leave them off. And again, this, is, this covers many different aspects of the deen. It's not just in purification, it's not just in salat, but rather you find it in the religion or the practice of the religion itself. Same thing like when you deal with a Muslim. A person who's known to be a Muslim, you cannot say that that person is not a Muslim without certainty. Can't be doubt. Well, we haven't seen him in the masjid in a long time. Okay, what does that mean? That doesn't mean he left Islam. But I've seen him walk into a church. Okay, well, what does that mean? He could have went rushing to go to the bathroom. He could have been going to get his mother. He's a doubtful matters. So uh, Imam Al-Qurtubi said, the Muslim, the one who is known to be a Muslim by certainty, then we cannot remove that certainty except with something that is certain. Like the person says, I'm not a Muslim anymore. I am a Christian. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I don't practice that. Okay, that's certain now. But just because a Muslim has fallen into some sin or we don't see a Muslim around anymore or we may see a Muslim do something that's not befitting, that's not enough to say that the person has left the fold of Islam. We need certainty to establish that a person has left Islam. And it goes back to the same principle. Al-yaqeen la yazul bil-shak. Certainty is not removed by doubt. Inshallah ta'ala will stop at this point. Whatever is correct, the praises for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone, whatever is incorrect is for myself. Wa subhanaka Allahumma bihamdika shadu an la ilaha ila anta staghfiruka wa tabiru.